the the um, missionary task of uh, our brother and sister who were here a couple of minutes ago. Um, as they came from uh, Chiang Mai yesterday, uh, every time I go to Thailand, I see the darkness of this place. And it needs me to be um, really in prayer most of the time because the spiritual warfare there is really tough. And uh, how dark is this place, but also, on the other hand, how thoughtful the wisdom of uh, the, produce, the, the production of this uh, video and the wisdom behind it that reflects the maturity of days. Thank the Lord for you. Usually, I like to, uh, to uh, begin my uh, short words this morning. I was giving a slot of time, so I asked myself, is this minutes American names or African names? So uh, I guess uh, I will be watchful. Um, the thing is, we always need to remind ourselves that it is not about us. It's about the one who was slain. So would you please join me for a word of prayer, a couple of things I need to pray for. One is that may Christ be glorified among us. Secondly, may the Holy Spirit takes, uh, take control of this small time that we have, short time that we have, so that uh, the Lord will speak unto every heart this morning. He has a fresh meal. He has a fresh word for each one of us. If we are really serious about him and about his business, he has a special word. Uh, he has the rhema, if you please, to each one of us. So let us open our hearts as we come before him. Father, in the name of Jesus, we are reminded again this morning how great thou art. How great thou art when you gave us your only beloved Son. How great thou art when you sacrificed the only one, the only unique Son you have. But how great thou art also, Lord Jesus, when you gave it all. Once and for all, you have not given us money, you have not given us wealth or positions, but you have given us yourself on the cross of Calvary. So, Lord, be the center of our gathering, we pray. Be the center of this meeting. Take hold of every heart. Take hold of our thoughts. Oh, visit with us afresh, we pray. Father, have mercy on us. Meet us in a fresh way this morning. I pray that may the Holy Spirit will fill us afresh. I pray that you may be glorified in this gathering. And may the glory be yours and yours alone. In your precious name I pray. Amen. I have three words to talk about this morning. One is prayer. 
Secondly is persecution. And thirdly is the Lordship of Christ. There is, there is good news and there is bad news. The bad news is that one third thinking of our theme that starting here and then to move to all the nations. Here, I just read this recently that one third of a million churches are in this nation. But 100 million people are unreached. I'm talking about here. When 80 to 90 million people in the States have never crossed to a right relationship with God. What about the nations? What about the global states? Nine out of every ten we meet in the street don't know the Savior yet. Every ten you meet in the street, nine out of them have not met him yet. Two of every three Nobody explained the gospel to them. And one of every three, nobody left of or lived next to them to tell them about him, even if they want to know that there is someone called Jesus who lives and saves. So, so this, this is the, ch the challenge. But, but there is also good news. The good news is that 1945, the number of believers, those who have put their faith in Christ, was 80 million. That's 1945. You're talking about 30%, 3%, only 3% of the population at that time. Nowadays, the world, out of the world, recent or current population, there is 800 million believers, which is about 12% of the world know Christ as their Savior. So the, the rate of the growth is really magnificent. Who's my example and who is your example? In Matthew 9, we read that the Lord was full with compassion. If you have your Bible, it will not be on the screen, but I would love for us to read these words in Matthew 9, and I guess that would be verse 35. Matthew 9.35 And Jesus went, was going about all these cities and the villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease 
and every kind of sickness. And seeing the multitudes, multitudes, he felt compassion for them, because they were stressed and downcast, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Beseech, seek, pray the Lord of the harvest. So, seeing the multitudes was so overwhelming, and it is still overwhelming to see the need around us. So, how are we, how are we go about that? The Lord gives us one request, one word, pray. And my passion personally is to see the younger generation passionate about prayer. If we have a praying generation, then the Lord will take care of us. Amen? Pray. And actually, pray, prayer is dangerous. You know what? Because when you join the fellowship in prayer, when you begin praying for the harvest, there is a big possibility that you will be one day the messenger. So we actually choose this from those who have passion. He picks up from those who are praying sincerely about the harvest. And he will pick that one and say, you are the one. Why, where did I get that? I get that from the next verse. We know that there were no chapters in the book of Matthew. This has been done by the fathers. But anyways, in, in, verse, in chapter 10, verse 1, um, and having summoned the, the, his twelve, he gave them authority, and he sent them. Verse 5, these twelve Jesus sent out after instructing them. So he asked them to pray. But listen, when you pray, you will be the one great candidate to be sent out. Let me think about prayer. I was uh, once sitting in a, in a bus in the northern part of Sudan, where I worked there for some years. And uh, I have... I, train myself to have the habit in the morning, particularly when I travel, to ask the Lord to bring someone um, next to me to share the, the gospel with him. So at that day, I, I uh, got into the bus, and my seat number was uh, 48, I believe. So I looked at it, went, sat down, and then the... Uh, um, the uh, guy um, responsible for uh, that bus came and said, Sir, would you mind changing your seat to sit in seat 14? So I said, okay. As I walked in the, uh, uh, in the, in the aisle, the Holy Spirit like whispered in me, in, to, to my ears and said, probably the fish. Is, number, is sitting in number 13. 
So I walked and I sat and looked to my right hand. By the window, there is a, a veiled lady sitting on my right hand. So I lifted up my, my heart to the Lord. I picked up my Arabic Bible. And I had the Bible in between us. So, and I began reading, and with the corner of my eyes, I noticed that the lady was trying to stretch to read with me. So why stretching? I made it more to the right. So she was reading carefully as I was reading. That day was Romans 8, the order where I was reading. And it, this is not an easy chapter, if you, remember, if you recall with me. Anyways... And, and I, at, at the end of the, of the, of the reading, reading, I pretended that I'm going to close, and she stopped me. And, and said, sir, can I, have, can I ask you a question? And, and I said, definitely. At, at that time, I turned, I turned to her. I turned to really face her. And I said, please, go ahead. And she said, what does it mean by the concern of the flesh and the concern of the spirit. And I said, wow. She's reading, she was reading very carefully. And from that question and that, and from this little answer, we spoke for one hour and a half, explaining, explaining. And let me tell you, at the end of the talk, she said, you know what? She's in her, in her, she was in her 30s, I guess, that time. She said, when I was 14 years old, a, a girl of uh, a colleague in the school gave me the gospel, gave me the Injil. So I took it home and I began to read in it. My father noticed. So he took it from me. And, and beat me up and said, don't walk with those infidels anymore. But you know what? Since that time, I am longing to get the Bible into my hands again. Tears came down on my cheeks and I said, huh, people need the Lord. We think of Muslims as that big Enemy. <laughs> those terrorists. Those who are opposing to the gospel in a way that really makes us step back from them. But this is not the truth. This is not the whole truth. The truth is, Every time I sat next to a Muslim to share the gospel, he would, at the end of the talk, he would tell me this. Nobody has explained it to me this way. I had my own mindset, and I had my own understanding of your gospel. And I all the time think of you as infidels who believe in three gods. But nobody has explained it to me that clearly. Thank you. And if you have a gospel portion to give it as a gift, he will appreciate it very much. At some level, I made a statistic for myself. Out of 20 people during the summer of one year, whom I shared the gospel with, all Muslims, 
19 and I'm talking about Egyptian Muslims who are very intellectual in understanding their Islam so 19 out of them were receptive only one was reserved that told me a lot let's think of uh, Colossians 4 2 to 4 continue in prayer if we have this verse thank you sir continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving listen to me next please that God would open unto us a door of utterance. God would open the door. As an answer of prayer, God will open the door to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in bonds, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Someone would say, do we have to speak it up? Do we have to speak up? People, People can, can learn from, from my life, can, can see, see my life. life. This, this is, is not enough. enough. If, if it is about your life, then, then, then people will point to your life. But, but there is another aspect to your life, life is that you have to speak up to point to Christ as the one behind this character and integrity and Christ-likeness that, that, that was manifested in your life. Are you with me? Give me your hand if you, if you follow me. Are you? Uh, yeah, thank you. Thank you. I'm, I'm always anxious. My wife tells me not to ask this question. My wife would say, you know what? People are following. Don't ask them. So the thing is, no, no time, time to go to, uh, to, to this reference, reference but, but in John 17, when Jesus was praying, he prayed for the disciples. But he also prayed for those who are going to believe in him. Listen to this uh, phrase. For those who are going to believe in him because of their speech, because they are about to speak about him. So our words are important. You have to verbalize it. You have to tell people the secret behind your life. You have to tell people how. How? How? Why do we believe in one God manifested in the Trinity? Why the cross? We need to explain that. In the evening I will be explaining I will be sharing how to approach Muslims in, in more details. Prayer. Prayer is the key. And actually, as we have our, the word in front of us, living prayerfully, we will discover again what we saw in the video a couple of few minutes ago, is that not I who live, can you add to that what is the rest? But Christ who lives in me. People are not attracted to Philip, not attracted to Mike or Steve. People are attracted to the fruit of, of the Spirit, 
that is profoundly manifested in the life of Christ. Hallelujah. It is in Christ, not you. So allow Christ to live out. Secondly, persecution, suffering. When I was young, I was... Uh, probably 19 years old, that was 1978, when Ayatollah Khomeini took over in, in Iran. I went to the university one day, not knowing that the Jamal al Islamiya, the Jihad people, were demonstrating that day in the street, in front of the, um, the university where I studied. But four months prior to that, I was on my knees praying in my room, and I got really so passionate about Muslims, and I was full of love to them. And I said, Lord, I cannot really uh, just keep it for myself. So the second day, I filled my small bag with gospel tracts. And I went into the auditorium in the university, one of the, an empty one, and I started to um, uh, put gospel tracts quickly as I, as I can into the drawers. And I finished my task in my way heading out the prince of the al-jihad people in that university was, came in and somehow picked two of the gospel tracts um, and attached me to that thing and ran after me. And he held me and said, held me and said, who did that? I said, I did. I did it. He said, okay. We know our business. We will take care of you. That was January. In April, they went out demonstrating in the streets. <clears throat> but uh, not to forget to say that after he said that, in the evening I was called by the security, by the um, secret police for investigation. Um, and they, they had my name in the file. Anyways... Four, four, four months later, I was heading to the university. They were demonstrating. And I got an eye contact with the guy who told me, we know what to do with you. Are you with me? So I pretended that I haven't seen him, and I started to walk fast. But I noticed that three people are coming after me. He instructed three of, the, of, the, of his guys to take care of me. So they, as soon as they reached me, they started to flog me with a, an electrical wire. And um, to make it short, I was on the floor bleeding. And the next step was uncertain. At that time, they got rid of many Christians, killing them, etc. But... The chief guy came to the scene, and it happened to be, he's actually 
one of five people who were accused, Muhammad Abu Layla, who were accused of assassinating our former president, Anwar Sadat, later. This man was a, was a friend of mine in the high school, but he turned to be, you know, with the jihadist. And as soon as he saw me, I was on the floor crying and bleeding in a miserable situation. He felt ashamed because of our earlier or prior friendship, and he gave his instructions to release me. So I was released. I was in nightmares for like two, two weeks on my back, in my bed, and the question that came to mind. Are you going to love those people and to be compassionate about them as before? It's difficult. It's difficult to, to forgive those who persecute us. Suffering. Let me say here quickly that not all of us would go through that kind of stuff. But some of you sitting here in this room are suffering from different kinds of trials. It's not the kind of trial, but it is your response to the trial. Am I such, what such thing could be a trial? A rebellious son or daughter could be a trial. Sickness could be a trial. But the thing is, am I honoring Christ in the midst of that trial? Am I bringing joy to his heart as a son or daughter to the father to say, Father, I want to honor you even if I don't understand Mother Teresa once said, <coughs> giving is not giving until it hurts, until it hurts. Uh, my sister Nancy Marlowe and her uh, husband uh, Ed Marlowe, they are sitting with us here and they are helping the cause for the Middle East and particularly for Sudan. For years they were in trials one after the other. But, but I, I saw with my own eyes how they glorified the Lord through the different trials. Turn with me to Second Samuel, if you please. Second Samuel 24 and verse 24. We remember David has been in a trial. And he went to offer sacrifice for the Lord. And uh, just to make it short here, uh, we read in Second Samuel 24 and verse 18. That he went to Aruna's house. And Aruna uh, so God came to David that day and said to him, Go up 
erect an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Arona, the Jebusite. And David went up according to the word of God, of Jad. Just as the Lord had commanded, and Aruna looked down and saw the king and his servants crossing over toward him. And Aruna went out and bowed his face to the ground before the king. Then Aruna said, Why has my lord the king come to his servant? And David said, To buy the fishing floor from you, in order to build an altar to the Lord, that the plague may be held back from the people. And Aruna said to David, Let me, Lord, the king, Take and offer you what is good in his sight. Look, the oxen for the burnt offering, the fishing slips, and the yokes of the oxen for the wood. Everything, O king, Aruna gives to the king. And Aruna said to the king, May the Lord your God accept you. However, this is our verse. However, the king said to Aruna, No. But I will surely buy it from you for a price. For I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God. Listen to this, please. Which cost me nothing. If you are living a Christian life that costs you nothing, then probably you and I need to revise that, need to review our life. Because this is not the biblical way of Christian living. Every time we go to the book of Acts and think of the early church, always there is a cost. Always there is risk that, that goes side, side by side, side with the gospel. But let me encourage us this morning. There is a father who went with his son to the uh, railway station to buy tickets for, the, for their trip. And as they go, the father went to the window to um, buy the tickets. He bought them, and his son said, Dad! Can, Can I, I have the ticket? ticket? Can, Can I, I keep, keep it? it? The, his dad said, no, not now. I will give you the ticket when we get on board train. And we are always afraid of being, let me talk about Middle, a Middle Eastern people, particularly at these days when the brotherhood have taken over. We are always afraid of suffering or the possibility of being imprisoned for Christ. But the Lord would say to you, I will give you the ticket when you get on board prison. When you get in it, when you go into the fire, I will empower you there, not before, not after. But, but when, when you, you are, are in the fire, fire I, I will be with you. This could be theoretical. Looks theoretical. But honestly, 
One day, I was arrested in, the, in one part of Sudan. And as I was taken to, to the secret police, I have experienced joy that I have never experienced before. So it is true, brother, that when you go through trial, he will empower you with a heavenly joy that you have never experienced before. And it is for the glory of his name. Amen. Let me close. <clears throat> to say that it is not only prayer, it is not only to glorify Him as we suffer, but it's about His Lordship. Matthew 28. We all remember the Great Commission, but let us refresh our minds with it. Do we have a couple of minutes? Thank you. Matthew 28, and Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. And my Arabic Bible say, uh, says, All authority, which is almost the same. All authority has been given to me. Go, either for and teach all nations, Baptizing them in the same, in the name of the Father and, the, and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. See, the Great Commission begins with I have the authority. <coughs> I have the authority. Then, or therefore, go. I have the authority. I am the Lord. I'm not, I'm not only the Savior, this, this is half of Christ, this is half of, the, of, of Him. There is, there is another side of the coin. He's not only a Savior, but He's also Lord. And you cannot accept Him only as a Savior, either to take both or to leave it all. Either to take Him as a Savior and Lord, or to be on own, do whatever you want. We know, we know all that England, for instance, follow what we call it constitutional monarchy. There is the Queen, but also there is the Prime Minister. She's the Queen, Queen Elizabeth. But you know what? Who does all the rules, 
create new laws and has the authority to pass them. The one who is in real charge is the prime minister. You told me, so what about the queen? The queen has a, has a place to sign on the bottom. But, to, but honestly, she's not the one that has the, the authority. So, in our case, we can have Jesus as the one who signs now. But us, do whatever it takes to be on our own, on our own plans. And he said it this way, many will call me Lord, Lord, but at the end of the day they do whatever they want. Are you with me? So it is not to include God in your plans. Listen to me carefully, please. But to allow him to include you in his plan. Let me repeat that. To have him as the one who is authoritative, the one who has the authority over your life, is not to include him in your plan, but to allow him to include you in his plan. It is not about your plan is already written and have him sign at the bottom. But as we know, it's about you. Sign on the bottom on that sheet, empty paper, blank one, and have him write what he wants to write. So the Great Commission doesn't start with missions, actually. It starts with the Lordship of Christ. And when he asked us to go, he said, I am. Actually, in Greek, it, 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 it is doubled. I am who I am. Will be with you always. And let me say this quickly. Every time in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, every time when God says, I am with you or I will be with you, you will notice that there would be an impossible test ahead. He did it with Moses, and there was an impossible test. He did it with Joshua, and there was an impossible test. He did it with Jacob, and you name it. Every time Jesus said, I will be with you, there was an impossible test. And let me ask you, do we have an impossible test before us? Yes, we do. But he said, I will go with you. And if he went with you, you will enjoy his presence. Hallelujah. Not only that, but you will see the impossible becomes possible. One day, we were in the northern part of Sudan serving, and a lady came to the, to the service, gave her life to the Lord, she, she was, was a drunkard, drunkard in the past, past. Not, not only a drunkard, drunkard but she uh, 
uh, used to um, uh, do um, um, sort of a traditional wine in her, uh, in her own home and sell it out for living. She trusted the Lord, went back, got rid of all the tools that she was used to uh, make the wine with. Her husband began to give her a hard time. So, one day, he wanted really to mock her. He gave her a small amount of money and said, listen, this, this money is for you to uh, um, uh, prepare a meal for me tomorrow when I come from, from my job. She said, okay. She put the money in her small wallet, put it under the pillow. The second day, he went, he sneaked in and got the wallet with the money in it and threw it in the knife. He, he was, was, he was just, just a troublemaker, wanted to create a trouble for her. Came in the afternoon, waiting, uh, actually uh, getting ready for his meal, or uh, to, re to receive his meal. But the thing is that this poor woman in the early morning, she discovered that the small wallet is not there. So what to do? No money. When he comes, when he returns home, he will beat me up again, and I will, I will be in a big trouble. Somehow she managed to get some money from her neighbor or whatever, went to the market, went to the fish market, and she got there, was able to buy a medium-sized fish, took it home to her kitchen. And as she was opening that fish, guess what? She found the small wallet in the fish belly. She washed it and put it back under the pillow. And he came home. And when he listened to what happened, he came down on his knees. Beloved, God is at work. Let me close with the, this, I call it great news, not only good news. Is that in the last 20 years, we have seen, particularly I'm talking about Egypt, we have seen a great number of Muslims coming back to the Lord. More than all who came to the Lord from the Muslim background, probably in the, early, in the, in the prior 1,000 years altogether. Even imams and sheikhs, and you say, how? How will you have the brotherhood, or actually the, the Muslim brotherhood, or are, are now in the authority and taking over the office? I would say, there is a good advantage of having the jihadists taking over. You know what? 
when the jihadists take over or the brotherhood or whoever, we have three advantages. One, the church becomes more alert to the eternal values, I suppose, to the temporary ones. Number two, we are becoming more praying people. I am seeing now a revival in Egypt I haven't seen before. Just last week there was a 10,000 young people gathering in one, pr one place praying for the nation. And I can go on and on on that. Third, the advantage of having the brotherhood or the jihad taking over is that they succeed to uncover the reality of Islam before their own people in a way that we, we cannot, we would never do it on our own as an Arab Christian church. And I tell you that in Iran alone, there are two million believers now, while during the Shah time, there was just a minority of feeble church at that time. So Ayatollah Khomeini did good for the church and for the cause of Christ far more than hundreds of missionaries who would go and, and share the gospel in that nation. How? Because he succeeded to reveal before his own people the dumbness of this system. And now, people would think twice how can I be a follower of, of the true God when my system and my book is that terrible? So people now are more alert to the fact that it cannot be a religion of God. Now I need to lean on another stick instead of this cracked one. What is the new stick that I can lean on? And they start to look for the truth. And hopefully, Christians will be ready for that. I know I have taken much more time than I should. Would you stand up with me for a second here? And I'm asking the, the choir to sing with us. I surrender all. I surrender all to thee. All to thee, my blessed Savior. Would you please join, join me in this uh, chorus as we close in prayer here, if you please. Hey, we'll be seeing